passage that we looked at last week, and uh, starting in First Corinthians, verse uh, chapter three, and we're going to start in verse six and go all the way down through verse seventeen. And uh, this is God's word. I planted. That's Paul. Says I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word and how rich it is. Uh, so many wonders there, so many mysteries for us to discover. And we pray that uh, you would give us your spirit because we need you to be our teacher. That this would not just be knowledge to us, but that it would, uh, your word would ignite our hearts, fill our imagination to see your world and uh, to see history and to see your purposes the way you want us to see them. And so that we might serve you faithfully in the world. And so we pray that your word would transform us now. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning, uh, we are going to be doing an exercise in biblical theology. Now, if you, you might wonder, is there any other kind of theology besides biblical theology? I mean, isn't all theology about the Bible? Well, it's very common to say that there are basically two kinds of theology. There's systematic theology. Systematic theology is the kind of theology where you come to the Bible and you say, you know, what is faith? What does the Bible have to say about faith? And when you find all these passages around the Bible, you say, oh, Hebrews 11 tells us a little bit about faith. And Abraham was a man of faith. And we'll go back to, you know, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And then, oh, Romans 4 talks about Abraham's faith. And so we find all these passages of the Bible and we learn about faith. What biblical theology is, is taking a different approach to the Bible. Instead of bringing a question to the Bible, it says, what story is the Bible telling? As the Bible is unfolding a story, what is the thread that, that goes through the whole Bible that ties the whole thing together? And uh, we're going to be exploring that kind of question this morning. And I'll tell you one of the things that I love about this Bible is that it's actually not just a book. But more properly, it's actually a library, right? It's a whole library of books. There's 66 books in here that were written over a period of 1,500 years, and uh, there's... 
three different languages that it was written in, and, uh, and there's all kinds of genres. You know, there's legal codes, there's poetry, there's letters, there's history accounts, there's these apocalyptic prophecies. There's all kinds of things. There's biographies in there. There's all kinds of things in, the, in this collection of writings that make up uh, this library. And what's so remarkable about the Bible, you've got this Bible that's written, it has 40 different authors putting this together over centuries, over 1,500 years, different cultures they're writing in, different languages, and yet they all come together and they tell a unified story. They actually tell a unified story. I mean, that is remarkable. Um, and it's a unified story about the purposes of God in the history of the world. And so what biblical theology is, is the task of searching through the, the, this tapestry of the literature and identifying these threads that path through, pass through all the authors and all the genres and tell us a unified story. So we're trying, in the midst of all these genres, what is that story that's, that's playing out? Let's find what that story is. And so I'll tell you what it's a little bit like, you, you know, uh, if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings movie, there's a great scene, it's also in the books, but uh, the picture I have is in the, in the movies. And if you don't know the Lord of the Rings stories, uh, it's the story of mainly the main image in the Lord of the Rings is this ring, the ring of power, that these little hobbits are taking to Mount Doom to destroy. And, and all the, the histories of these nations and everything and these wars are all happening around this one little ring. And, there's the, and at the beginning, no one really knows what this ring is, and they know it's special. And so there's this part where Gandalf, the great wizard, goes to Minas Tirith, which is the ancient city, the capital of Gondor. And he goes to this ancient city, and he goes down into these caves down, and there's these archives. It's like this library of all these old documents. He's dusting them off, and he's pulling them together, and he's reading them. He's trying to find out what's the story of the ring. What's happened? What, what, what is it? And in different re you know, stories about kings and what's happened to them who had the ring, and uh, there's a guy, Gollum, who had the ring, and all these things. And he ties them together, all these different books, and he finds out what the story is. And once he finds out what the story is, then he runs back to Frodo, and they, now they know what their task is. Now they know what they need to do. Now they know how to live in the world. Now they understand the world because they understand this story of the ring. That's very much what reading the Bible is like. It's like we're little Gandalfs, right? Dusting off, dusting off the old book and, uh, and, find, uh, and finding that the Bible is not just full of little truisms about you know, how to be a good person. It's something much more profound than that. It's a unified story that God has been telling through the ages that explains to us the history of the world. And so since the Bible is a library, it takes close attention to find what it, can we see those stories. And uh, I'll tell you, one of the most fascinating stories, threads that goes all the way through the Bible is the story of the temple. The temple. And uh, it's an image that's used in the very really in the first pages of the Bible, the first two chapters, and all the way in the final chapter of the Bible. And it goes all the way from beginning to end, and it, it, it ties together the whole thing. And it's an image that Paul reflected on quite a lot, and he uses it to describe himself in this passage. Look at verse 10. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. He talks about himself as a builder who's building a house. He's building a building. And what we're going to find out is a building he's building is a temple. That's what he does. And his whole understanding of what we're up to is temple. What he's up to is temple building. What Jesus is up to in the world is temple building. Now, if you're here and you're not familiar with the Bible, and even just that word temple might kind of be, sound like a strange religious word, well, we're going to talk about it. 
and you're going to see the story of what the temple is in the scripture. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to kind of tell you four things about the temple and how it ties together the whole scriptures. And, you know, I should say, I'm, I'm generally like my sermons to be fairly practical. You know, they're theological, but I also like them to be really connected to our life. We're going to have some of that in this. But this is also a time really just for our imaginations to be kind of ignited and see, oh, wow, this is what God's doing in the world. And it's, it, it, that is, that's act, actually practical for us, for our understanding and our minds and our imaginations to be shaped by God's word. So that's what we're doing this morning as we study through the temple. So four things about the temple. Here we go. First is this. What is the temple? The temple is the place where God dwells. It's a place where God lives. Okay? And uh, you see this. Verse 16 kind of touches on this at the end of the passage. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So he has these two things. that goes, you're, you're a temple. The temple is where God's spirit dwells. God lives. God lives in the temple. And, you know, I'll come back to this verse. But what this says is that the temple is the place where God dwells on earth. So another way you could think about it is that, you know, what is heaven? You know, some of you have thought about it. What is, what is heaven? Where is heaven? Well, you know, it's not like if you just travel, you know, got in a spaceship and traveled really far, you'd eventually run into heaven. That's not how it works, actually. The, heaven is actually some kind of other dimension, other place. It's the place, all we really know is it's the place where God lives. It's his dwelling place. And earth is our dwelling place. And so there happens to be places where his dwelling place and our dwelling place overlaps, like a Venn diagram, where we both live. And that's what the temple is, is the place where earth and heaven overlap and God's presence is, uh, is with us on earth. And um, which tells us that one of the main stories of the Bible, what is the Bible about as a whole? What's the main story? Where's the story going? The story is going is that God wants to live with us. Daniel was talking about that. Uh, I, you know, the people who live with you know you the best. And, uh, and God wants that with us. He wants to be close to us. He wants to be into with us. He wants to be present with us. And um, that's why the temple, which is often called a house in the Bible, the Lord's house, the house of the Lord, is because uh, that's where he lives. And um, which is just a profound image because it is with the people that you live with that you, you become very close with. Actually, I was just talking to a gal uh, last night who was, she was saying that she'd uh, just uh, uh, been living with a friend for the last uh, three years. And then she says, you know, and the friend just moved away. And she said, you know, just six months ago, it, it kind of dawned on me that you're my best friend now. You've been living with me, and we're very close. And this, this living together has created this intimacy that we know one another, and uh, we serve one another, and we, we do things for each other, and we care for one another. That's what the kind of relationship, the kind of a friendship and union that God wants to have with us. And this is the whole aim of the Bible, right? Because actually, if you go to the very last page of the Bible, this is the second to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21. This, listen, to what, listen to what the Bible says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold... The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The Bible says is what wholeness, human wholeness looks like is living with God, being in his presence, knowing him, dwelling in his house. And actually, for anyone who really knows the Lord, I'll tell you that. If you really know the Lord, it is your deep longing to have that. 
it's what you long for more than anything. I want to be with him. And you know the famous verse from uh, Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the deep longing of, of anyone who really knows the Lord. Is that your longing? To be with him, to live with him. And so um, this is where the whole biblical story is going. Is about God preparing a place for us and preparing us to live with him in some place, okay? So if the whole Bible is, is about this, um, that the temple is a place where God intends to dwell with us, um, we should expect that that's the story that we see at the beginning. If it's at the end, that's where it ends, we should have some sense that that's what's happening in the beginning as well. We should have some clues to that re- as well. And that's true. And that's the second thing that we see in this passage is not just that the temple is a place where God dwells, specifically wants to dwell with us. That's where the, go- the goal is. But second, the temple is an expanding garden. The temple is an expanding garden. And, you know, you might have noticed in this passage, Paul uses these two uh, images side by side that, you know, it might have felt kind of jarring that he switched images right in the middle. But uh, this is what he says, uh, verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. He goes from a field about planting plants and seeds and watering, and then he, all of a sudden we're in a building, and, he, and he, it's, it's effortless. He doesn't even think about it. It's like the same thing. It's like the same image. And we're like, whoa, okay, we're changing images now. All right, that's fine. I don't know if that's a writer's, you writers, is that okay for him to do that? Just change images like that? Um, but um, why is that? Well, if you were here last week, you know that I talked, I talked about this image of the field and the seeds and the plants and everything, and that this was a favorite image of our Lord. He talked about seeds and fields quite often. But actually, this image goes way back before Jesus. Because what, what's he talking about? Paul's saying, I was a gardener. I'm a gardener. And plants and planting and fruit and all these things brings up a much earlier image of the garden, which is where humanity was first placed. When God first created humanity, uh, he put them in this garden, the Garden of Eden. And that's where they lived and they worked. And it says in Genesis chapter 3 that God came among them and he walked among them. He's kind of walking around in the cool of the day, if you know that, that phrase. And that was how humanity was supposed to live. They were supposed to work in his presence and give all their work and offer it to God. And, uh, and so the garden was like a little temple. And let me just say, you know, if you're here and uh, if you're not a Christian and you're thinking about, you know, what does the Bible teach? Um, one of the reasons why this, this is so profound is because one of the big questions that we have to ask about our lives is why doesn't the world work right? Like, why, doesn't, why don't I work right? Why doesn't my heart work right? Why don't I treat people the way that I should? Why can't I, you know, stay in relationships and relationships have friction? Why does my work feel so futile so often? And there's just so much where the world has so much potential and yet I don't seem to be tasting it. Why is that? Well, the answer is because we were, we're supposed to live our life, our work and our relationships, we're supposed to happen in the presence of God and with him, walking in relationship with him. And we have alienated ourselves from that relationship with God so that we don't dwell with him. And so, as, if you know the story, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and they were kicked out of the garden. And they lost that fellowship. And we have also lost that fellowship with God as well. And so the answer that the Bible gives to our problems 
is that we need to refine how to live in God's presence, how to know who He is. We need to refine the temple, the garden. And uh, uh, we are meant to live with Him, and we've now been alienated. And what Paul is saying to this church of Christians, when he says, You are God's field, he's, he's saying something like, You're a new garden. You know what we wanted, and we wanted to be with God? You as a community are starting to be a new garden. It's, it's happening again. God hasn't forgotten that vision from Genesis 1. So I'll tell you, if you uh, what ends up happening in the Old Testament is Adam and Eve go out of the garden, and then what happens, kind of the next big thing that happens, uh, there's a number of big things that happen, but in the Old Testament, what God ends up doing is he chooses a people of all the nations of the world, this people Israel. And he says, okay, Adam and Eve screwed up, you're now going to be kind of a new humanity. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose you, and what am I going to do with you? I'm going to plant you in the land. Adam and Eve were in this land of Eden, and now they're going to be in this land of Canaan. And you're going to be my people there. And then there was this little tent that they were supposed to build called the tabernacle, which was like a portable, uh, te- a portable temple that they could, they could move around with. And he says, I'm going to live among you. And he uses the same words in Genesis 3 where God is walking around in the, uh, walking about in the, in the garden. Now I'm going to be walking about in the tabernacle in your midst, and I'm going to dwell among you. And actually, there's all these parallels between the Garden of Eden, has all these fruits, and, uh, and animals going on in there, and, and in the tabernacle, in the temple, they, have, they make these, uh, these metal images of all kinds of fruits and things to evoke, oh yeah, God's reestablishing the garden, how things are supposed to be. He still wants to live with us. He still wants to dwell with us. And, um, and so Israel, uh, Israel was supposed to be a new humanity, and, you know, and part of the reason, why does God live in a tent? He says, I want you to build me a house, build me a tent. Because Israel lived in tents, right? They were in the desert and they were wandering around. They all lived in tents. He says, okay, I'm going to come live with you. I'm going to live in a tent as well. And you're going to have to put all the sticks together and carry them to the next place. And, and that's with me. But later, they move into the land and uh, they have a kingdom and David becomes king and they're becoming more established. And David says, you know, I'm, I'm living in a house. God's still living in a tent. I think it's time for an upgrade for the Lord. So uh, they have this vision. We're going to build a palace for the Lord. And his son Solomon builds this temple where God comes and lives among them. But Israel, who's supposed to be the new humanity, just like Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They rejected him for centuries. So eventually what happens is uh, they too are kicked out of the land and they're sent off just like Adam and Eve uh, to, the, to Babylon and, and the temple is destroyed. And so there's no, there's no more temple, but after 70 years in exile, they come back and what do they do? What's the first thing that they want to do? They've got to rebuild the temple. And so they rebuild the temple and yet all the, the old guys who had seen the old temple, they say, it's not the same. It doesn't have the glory of, of the first temple that Solomon had built. And during this time, during, it's called the, the, during the exile and post-exile, there were all these prom- prophets who were making a promise that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be the true temple builder. Except his temple is going to be one that fills the whole world. It's a temple that, fill, that all the nations come to. And um, they're going to come and flock to and worship the Lord in this temple. And... Um, this building is supposed to be a place where God lives with the people of every nation on the planet. So one of the questions is, how does that work? How do you have a building that fills the whole 
whole world, okay? We understood that you had the temple that Solomon built. It was big, but not quite that big. So how are we going to do this? And of course, the answer is that it needs to expand. The temple needs to expand. It needs to grow. And it turns out, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, that was the plan in the Garden of Eden, was that Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, and what did God tell them to do? To be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the earth. You're supposed to take that little garden that I planted you and push it out so that the whole earth would become a temple, and all the people who fill the earth, fill the earth live in God's presence and know him and work with him and have fellowship with him. And this is the task that Paul sees himself doing, is that he is expanding the temple so that there will be more room for people. Look at verse 10. According to the grace uh, of God given to me, I am a skilled master builder. I laid, uh, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each take care how he builds on it. So what, he's a remodeler, right? You know, some of you work on houses and, you know, he's putting ex- extensions on, on the, the temple so that there's more room and it's growing and it's expanding. And this is where in the Bible, so I'm kind of giving you the story of the Bible, right? We've gone through the Old Testament, but there is a dramatic shift that happens at the beginning of the New Testament in this symbol and the story of the temple. Because for so long, everyone's like, what's this building going to be? And when's this building going to be built? But what we find out also in this passage, the third thing about the temple is not just the place where God dwells, and uh, it's not just that it is an expanding garden, but the temple is made of people. This, is, this was the, the, the clue. This is, how's, how's the temple going to fill the whole earth? It's made of people. And you see, that's what Paul's talking about here, right? The, 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 the meaning of the temple is taken on new meaning for him. Verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You're the building. It's not made of stones, it's made of you. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The the foundation of the building isn't a rock, it's a person. Jesus is now the, the foundation. Verse 16, do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, he will destroy him, for, God, uh, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The temple's not made of stones, and God's glory doesn't just fill a building, it fills people. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this building could fill the whole earth, could welcome all the nations. That kind of building could do that. And, um, of course, the first time we start to hear about, when's the first time in the New Testament? Think about that. When do we hear about that the temple is not a building, but a person? John chapter 2, there's a place where Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it in three days. And then the Apostle John is writing the gospel, makes this little note, and he says, and by the way, he was talking about his body. Jesus says, I am the new temple. Where is the place where heaven and earth overlap? God's dwelling and man's dwelling come together? It is in the person of Jesus Christ, the the God-man, Jesus who is fully God and fully man. He is the new overlap. And so the place that God lives is with Christ. You want the relationship, you want the presence of, of, of what uh, the garden had. It is now in Jesus. He is the overlap. Listen, this is 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. 
You're the stones. You're the rocks that are being built up into a house where God lives and where, other, where, the, where the nations come to live as well, to be a royal priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are our temples. We carry the very presence of God, the thing that humanity is longing for. When, when we say there's something wrong with humanity, the thing that's missing in humanity, we carry that with us wherever we go because God's glory and his spirit dwell in our, in our very bodies. It's quite amazing. And so um, we, are, uh, we as a community are the temple of God um, that is filling the whole earth in, in our uh, communities like this in every nation. So God has made good on his word. How is the, the temple going to fill the, the world? Well, there's communities like this everywhere. And you can come into the temple and you can come into God's presence in any nation. All over the globe, God has made good on his word. And so the mission of the church is the expansion and the spread of the very presence of God to every corner of the creation until the whole world is God's temple. And I'll tell you, you know, when uh, Solomon built his temple, he had this dedication time where he was praying for this building. And one of the things he said that this temple is going to do is that there's going to be foreigners, people far off, who are in need and they want the Lord's help. And what they'll do is they'll go to the temple and they'll pray towards the temple. And the temple will be God's presence and that God will hear them and respond to them. And what that means is that we're a community that God is saying that actually people are going to come to us who don't know him or are foreigners. And they're going to come look to us and say, I need the Lord's blessing. I need help. And that we're supposed to be the source of that presence. Where they look to us and we pray for them. And God hears our prayers and blesses them, but also through us, through us, God brings his blessing to many people. This is an amazing, brilliant move that happens in the New Testament, okay? And so what, what the, the temple is moving towards is what Isaiah said, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, okay? So, one last thing we're going to say about the temple so we've said that the, the, the temple is the place where God dwells, where he dwells with us. The temple is an expanding garden, and the temple is now made of people. But the fourth thing that we see is that the temple is ultimately a picture of the world to come. What the temple is supposed to be is a, a picture of the world to come. And, you know, it's interesting. Anthropologists and, anthropologists and biblical scholars who have studied the ancient Near East and studied the, the biblical temples in the Old Testament have found that, that people uh, in the ancient Near East, when they made temples, these temples were supposed to be microcosms of the whole universe. And they're like these little pictures of, of what the whole universe is like. And so um, when God, when you know, they built the tabernacle or, or built the temple and God uh, put, filled it with his glory, and you have this little world that is filled with God's glory, it was a picture of what God is going to do with this creation. When he comes again, and he sets all things right in his creation, he is going to flood his creation with his very presence. That's the very hope of Christians, is that in the age to come, we will live in God's green earth, this great big garden, and be with him, and walk with him, and work with him, and have fellowship with him, and eat with him in his presence. We'll feel his presence on our skin. It's going to be like warmth, and we're going to feel it down in our bones. And he's like, he's really here. And I, I'm with him. And it's the great hope. And the temple was a picture of what God was going to do in the whole creation. And, um, but what is the passageway? How do we get from this age into that age? How do we move from a world that is filled with violence, brokenness, futility, hardship? How do we move from this world into an, a world to come where all things are made new? How do we do that? 
Well, um, this passage says that the way that we do that is through the judgment of God. Through God's judgment. I know for some of you, when I use that word judgment, you say, ooh, ah. I like to skip over those parts of the Bible, you know, uh, about, about judgment. But you know, let me just tell you, you know, N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, he says, you know, for the, uh, for the biblical authors, judgment was always a good thing. You know, it's like, if, you know, imagine some, uh, you know, town in, in the Old West that has all these, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what you call them, you know, bad cowboys or something who are coming in and doing all, is that what you call them, bad cows? Oh, bandits, something, I need something back. <laughs> Bad cowboys. Cowboys are good, right? Sorry. <laughs> bandits. Full of bandits. Everyone's in fear. Everyone's inside looking out their windows like, oh, I can't go outside. And people are getting killed. And there's robberies happening. And what do they want, right? They want the sheriff to come in and he's going to clean things up and he's going to restore peace and wholeness. And there's, now there's going to be trade and people can come outside and they feel free and they feel safe. That's what judgment is. Is God is showing up. He's showing up as a sheriff and he's going to set things to right. He's going to make things right. And, um, and you can hear this language of judgment here in these verses. Look with me. Verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. It's the last day that's going to enter, bring us into the, the age to come. For, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now this is a description of the final judgment which... Um, uh, is actually not a final judgment. It's not talking about the final judgment of the whole world. It's actually talking about the church, God's people, the temple passing into judgment. And it's actually, this is a challenge. You know who this is challenging, this text? It's actually challenging me because it's, it's, it's really about pastors who are overseeing their flock. And are you, are you really teaching the Bible? Are you really discipling people? And we'll find out if people really knew the Lord when the day comes. So uh, it is a sober, but, it, but it's actually a sobering challenge, of course, to all of us. And, um, you know, it uses this image of fire, which, you know, is it a literal fire? It's not a literal building, so it may not be literal fire, but wh whatever it is, it's going to be terrible, facing God. God is a consuming fire. Uh, it, it is something that we, we approach with trepidation. And, um, but if you have a question, you say, you know, is, isn't believing in judgment a little passe, right? We're a little, we've, we're modern people. We've kind of grown out of that fearful judgment. Let me just tell you, there is no reason to not believe that we are going to have to give an account for the life we've lived in this life. I mean, if our life has any meaning, you know, if God created us for a purpose, it seems like we're going to find out at the end, did we fulfill our purpose? That is a perfectly reasonable thing to believe in, that we're going to have to give an accounting. And, um, and it is always true that in the temple, if, God, if the temple is where God dwells, his presence demands holiness from us. He dwells with holiness. So as Daniel brought up in our confession, how are we as sinful people going to dwell with a holy God? That's a serious question. How are we as a sinful people going to dwell with a holy God? And the answer that the Bible gives us is through repentance and faith. We turn away from our sin. We say, I'm a sinner. And we put our faith in the blood of Jesus. 
the blood of Jesus that, that cleanses us, that washes us, that makes us holy. And this becomes a lifestyle for us of turning away from sin, repentance, and believing in Jesus. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is my life. And through the blood of Jesus, Jesus fits me for the presence of God. The way I'm going to enter into there is because the blood of Jesus has cleansed me and made me fit for, for God's presence. And this is, I'm going to close with this. Words from Hebrews 10 that say exactly this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, the holy places, the temple of God, by the blood of Jesus, we enter by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, right? That's in the temple. That's Jesus, our high priest in the temple. Over the house of God, that's the temple. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He wants to live with us. He has made a way for us in, in the ways Jesus. And let, us not, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. It's with our eyes fixed on that day that we will be in God's full temple forever and ever, that we cling to the blood of Jesus. So let's pray together.